What is up, everybody? I have my good friend, Mr. Ryan Muckenhern, across from me. Now, Ryan, we talk about a lot of cool things on this podcast. We talk about cool cartridges, uh, other cool products, really neat topics. And today, in my opinion, we're talking about a cool gun. This is kind of like a a cool gun highlight. A uh, a uh, what were you what would you say you were coming up with a name for like what we were doing today? A firearm feature. A, a firearm. Feature, a, a featured, featured firearm. Yeah, featured firearm, which does have alliteration, which I always, I always like. Ryan, this is one of mine, probably one of my own, my personal, I guess, cooler guns. Right, like it's one of the older guns that I personally own. I feel like it's a unique firearm, and one of the reasons why I know it's cool is you always comment that you really like it and you like cool guns. I do. This is the. Savage Model 24. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's talk about this thing. It ain't new. It's not. It's pretty old. It's old enough that it doesn't actually have a serial number on it. Exactly. That in my in my readings, because see, you know a lot of this stuff, and then I read about it to to learn about it, so I have some sort of baseline when when we come in here. But yeah, the early models didn't have serial numbers. In fact, we just looked. We double confirmed. So it's it's kind of difficult to find out or ascertain when it's made, but you can do that, I guess, um, within like a margin of error by like the model, because the models changed over time. They different did. features, different things, you know, some you could say were an advancement, and then, you know, maybe as things move forward, it, not so much an advancement. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about the old Savage Model 24? Where, oh, let's talk about its lineage. Sure. Imagine if you were a lad of 12 and you were looking for the most practical firearm that a lad of 12 could have. <sighs> I know. It, and this is what I think about when I think of Model 24s. You might encounter a rabbit. You might encounter a squirrel. You might encounter a quail, maybe a grouse, possibly a pheasant. Who knows? And you want to beg your father, your uncle, your grandfather, your mother to get you the gun. The year is sometime between 1938 and... I'm just going to say 1970 for nostalgia's purposes. Yep. And this is the gun. It's a combination gun. It's a combination gun. Which is which is not common in the U.S. Anymore. No. Europe, quite popular. So, and we should describe, what, by combination gun, this is a 22-410, which actually, I've always just called this a 22-410, mm-hmm. like just intuitively. And then as I was looking it up, when it was originally made by Stevens... The model was the twenty two four ten. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. It's a... It's a mouthful, though. Why you... Or the way you described it is why I bought... Now, I bought this... I was I was an adult. Uh, but uh, I was like, dude, that is a small game special. Oh, yeah. Like, and I was just... I was drawn to it because um, I was like, oh, man, this is the perfect truck gun for grouse or, like you said, just going out... Um, Who knows what you're going to encounter. I've, I've dove hunted with it. Yep. You're uh-huh. going to have a small game tag in your pocket, and the parameters of what small game en- encompasses is vast, depending on where you live. And this could do it all. Yeah. So originally 1938, made by Stevens. Uh, they quit making it in 1950. And then Savage, basically, I don't know the inner workings of how they did it, but then they just, Savage started producing essentially the same rifle from kind of 1950 on mm-hmm. ish you know yeah. tell up i don't know when they quit actually making the model 24 2010 okay um and now it's the model 42 which kind of has some commonality yeah but 
It's a, a a break action. Yes. Now, from the from what I understand, it's a uh, a unique a unique break action. The way it operates, like it seems like when I look at it, I go, yeah, it's like a, it's like a over under that I've used before. But I think there's some unique traits to it that I'm not quite sure what makes it unique. But um, it sounds like its own de- it's its own design from what from what I know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got some characteristics that are found on similar guns. Um, so, as Mark had mentioned, it is a uh, hinge breech or a break action gun. Tang operates both directions, which I think is cool and classy. Mm-hmm. Um, lock up on this, and we were talking about this last night when Mark had brought it in. You commented on that. It, it's This is a gun of an era bygone that reminds me of how things used to be. And when I open this gun up, and, and I've done quite a bit of shooting with break action shotguns, mm-hmm. its lock up is bank vault. It is just so... I mean- it is. It's absolutely brilliant. And like this was a, an inexpensive firearm of its day. This was not a a, a peerless grade shotgun. This was not a high end rig, but it was put together as if it was. And and I I really actually appreciate that. Um, from the extraction mechanism to the lockup to the selector, something we learned yesterday. If we look at the color case hardening, on the side of the receiver here on the on the right side of the receiver, we can see that the color case is kind of burnished mm-hmm. a little bit, and it's faded from from time anyways and patinaed. But there was a, a very distinct part that was here at one time and is no longer in doing a little bit of research. And this is something I've actually never seen. They had a button selector on earlier models that right. you, would, you would select between top and bottom barrel on the side. As I went on to read, this was... Not a failure of a mechanism, but was somewhat prone to breakage. Mm-hmm. And so later models then had a retrofitted selectable hammer. Mm-hmm. So the initial model was just a plain hammer. And then now they have the firing pin selection mechanism on the hammer. And then I think it, the way I understand it, and I could be not understanding exactly correctly, but then I think even some models just went to, eventually they just yeah. went to that style. Yep. yep. Now, the one that I have here, like you said, like what I am not sure. So I was reading a, a, a cool article, actually. Uh, where was this from? I'm going to give these guys a shout out. Oh, that one has the button. From Project Upland. Sure. .com, right? And so, and I was actually even trying to understand. I highlighted it here. Jim would hate me for my pronouns right now. Okay. So I'm going to quote this from this article, really cool article. It says, to address some functional issues with the side selector, Savage redesigned and introduced a selector integral to the hammer. It was a, it was a small thumb actuated throw lever. Later production changes moved the, fam- the familiar top lever to the side of the action. So what and others moved to a press button in front of the trigger guard. So what they're referring to is the, the hinge Oh, Ten, okay. Right here. Okay, gotcha. It became a side lever. That was, and then forward to the trigger guard. Oh, yeah. okay. Sure. Okay, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. Another thing I also learned was uh, the, uh, like, approximately, like, you know, 15,000-ish were purchased by the military as survival guns. Yep. So, like, this, uh, you know, potentially. Very like, storied history. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows where this one has been? There's definitely a few dings and uh, marrings on it that, mm-hmm. like you said, there's, it probably does tell a few stories. One notable one, this kind of crescent moon-shaped, <laughs> that's significant. That's a big mark. Like, you wonder, like, it, whoever was carrying that, they either remember what they were hammering with this or they remember where they fell. 
that's possible. But I think coming back to the, the arm itself, what I guess makes me so excited is because it was a quote cheap gun. Right. And I look at it and I mean, it's, it's not fancy. It's got a, a piece of pretty peach crate wood on it, yeah. but the wood to metal fit is great for what it is. I mean, it's great. And the stock is swollen from years. I mean, it's, it's got dings and it's got chips and a little bit of cracking up at the front of the wrist where it meets the receiver and it's, it's oil soaked. But when it was new, it had pretty darn impressive wood to metal fit. It was color case hardened, which mm-hmm. was, was a very attractive finish. The lockup is extraordinary. It's a tight gun. Mm-hmm. And you just don't see that as much as I wish we would these days, unless you start going to some pretty upper crust right. models of a firearm. And what I think is, of course, super novel about it is that combination so I disassembled the gun for those watching. Well, and I'd also say, so that's a notable feature of it too, is it breaks down. Yeah, right? you put it in a backpack. Which I think, you know, I think that was part of that survival component too, that which probably made it attractive is, you know, sure. you could store this just about anywhere. Yep, yep. So top barrel, in this case, is a twenty-two long rifle. Bottom barrel's 410 shotgun. These came in a smattering of chamberings. Right. The coolest one I've ever seen, I believe, when I was working for a gun shop, we bought it in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and it was a 357 Remington Maximum. Okay, over 20 gauge. Yep, which was super neat. 357 Rem Max is a brilliant cartridge, and very obscure. Mm-hmm. And think of like a 357 Magnum, but longer, and, and that's literally all it is. Mm-hmm. The amount of powders just increased. The case length is increased. Very powerful cartridge, like certainly an adequate big game cartridge, mm-hmm. deer, bear, probably even elk. I mean, it's approaching 35 Remington from a performance standpoint, um, over 20 gauge. And, and there's there's like a, a neat niche collector group out there that looks for these things in the weird and obscure chamberings. Right. Yeah. 30-30 over 12 gauge, 223 over 12. 22 Hornet. Yep. You know, twenty-two yep. long, twenty-two uh, WMR. Yeah, they made them. They made a lot of different models, and like you said, if if a person was into these, you could really, you know, uh, collect them all. Yeah. I guess I don't know. It might be di- difficult. It but. would, but and they've gone up in value considerably. I mean, this was, you know, back in in the day when I was working at that shop, I and mean, these firearms worth a couple hundred bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And usually the lady or gentleman who was going to buy it was probably buying it for nostalgia's sake. Like they had one growing up and, mm-hmm. and they're like, or my dad had one or my uncle had one or my grandpa had one. And so they're like, man, I really want that. I, I mean, the, the practical application of it is debatable, right? Like, is it better to have this or a Ruger 1022 if you're squirrel hunting? Well, I guess it depends on, on how you view the world, but they, they've kind of fallen out of favor. And now the collector market has ramped them up. I mean, these things are going for considerable money. Yeah. Um, which is, I just think, fantastic. As we mentioned before, combination guns in the U.S. are, are pretty scarce. Not a popular thing. Um, Europe, a little bit different story, uh, where you can order combination guns from a lot of the major European um, manufacturers that make shotguns and rifles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their utility is, is understated, I think. I mean, shooters like those, they could be walking in a state uh, or a piece of ground and they might encounter a, a stag or a boar or a pheasant, mm-hmm. or a capricaly, or who knows, where you have to make a decision. Like, oh, perfect. I'm, I'm out on walkabout today. Here is a black grouse. I'm switching to the shotgun barrel, mm-hmm. taking it. I'll shoot the black grouse. Boom. Red stag runs out from behind the pines. Switch to the center fire barrel, and you've got a meal. You do. 
Uh, you know, and uh, like you said, just the, the versatility, versatility, the practicality. Like if I had this thing in a, as a kid and lived, you know, oh. with a back 40, like, I mean, like the adventures would have been been endless, right? But I was out with my girls the other day. We went for a little walk boot and, uh, you know, kind of uh, a combination of squirrels and rabbits. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't come away successful, but there were definitely times where like we're walking and I might, uh, you know, maybe we're going through a little bit of a timber patch. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, switch this thing to 22, you know, scan them for squirrels up above. And then you get to the spot, you're like, hmm, this is a little bit of a bunny spot. And then boom, flip over to the, uh, to the, to the 410. Yep. So I just love it. This one also has some, uh, I guess, uh, unique, I'd say intentionally integrated markings into it. Has the, one of the previous owners, driver's license number uh engraved in it yep has the initials of that of one of the people that owned it here uh jc so i i always like to say this uh i've got a a gun that was owned by the big guy himself and uh yeah i just i I find that unique too and you were saying that was a a, kind of a common thing folks would do at some point in time one of my favorite things and we've talked about this on podcast before i've mentioned a, a term that i stole from my former employer American Sporter, in which a rifle was brought back from a, an era of conflict or an area of conflict. So okay. think like 1903 Springfield, 1917 Remington, a German Mauser, a, a Japanese Arasaka. And they, they bring them back, they sporterize them, they make them into their hunting rifle. And seeing the, and we saw this on, on Guns of Yore a lot from the 50s and 60s and even in the 70s. They take an electro pencil and they put their driver's license number in there. And it was just it was just something you did. And the number of old guns that I had come into the shop that had the DL, you know, in, in our case it was Minnesota, it's just MNDL on there, and then it would have the the number sequence. I, I found it like an endearing attribute to the gun. Sure, like, it w- was the thing molested? Absolutely, but I think in a way that I, I don't know. I, I like I'm pretty nostalgic. If mm-hmm. you haven't, I just love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think the true hat trick is when you had the gun. It had a compass that was drilled and inletted into the stock. It had like a, an old Weaver K series, you know, steel tube, fixed magnification, two and a half, three X, whatever. Electro penciled into the tube was the DL number. Electro penciled into the gun was the DL number. Like that was the the holy trinity of of vintage firearms for me growing up. So I thought it was super neat. Uh, but yeah, this gentleman, old JC, did indeed put the the number onto the the barrel and to the receiver and i just think it's fantastic well and then it makes me wonder are these the same person i hope so you know they, yeah. they, it might be but this could have been jc could have been some kid that didn't want to get his gun mixed up with you know tommy next door yeah and then who knows where the or maybe later on he got his driver's license well i better put that on there too or maybe it's two completely different people i don't know there's just so many unknown stories it's uh it's kind of fun to uh i guess just to wonder you know what this thing has seen over time you know what i think would be a marvelous thing to do and i'm not i'm not being silly you send this off to doug turnbull and you have the gun rolling restored i'm talking we are going to recolor case the receiver we're going to re-blue we're going to polish we're going to strip that stock sand it down fix the chips raise the dents Brand new finish on it, and you put an MB on the back of that rascal. It'll probably run somewhere between one and two grand. It'll be worth it. Like, so I love that idea, but in the same breath, 
I feel like you're stripping away the history. You're adding a new layer. <sighs> but I can just add my own layer by using it and making my own memories with I it. I think you should send it to Doug Turnbull. We'll ask. I'll we'll ask. It. We'll ask. What do you guys think? Ten, what should, what ten should we likes do with this? <laughs> 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 to Dougie. Yeah, I mean, so when I got this firearm, Ryan, uh, I was working at uh, Cabela's in Nebraska at the time. Yep. And just, you know, peruse the used rack every once in a while. And this thing was up there. And I knew it was in, like, you know, fairly rough shape, obviously not new. But I was just, you know, I, I shot my first grouse with just a, a single shot Stevens 410, yep. right? And for some reason with this, I can't even, I was just drawn to it. And I was like, and I, and I bought it that day. And you know me, I don't You're make not an impulsive like, person. I'm not, generally. I don't make impulsive purchases, yeah. right? And I was like, I'd seen them before. I'd heard about them. I'd never necessarily seen one, you know, for sale or that was available. And I'm like, I'm going to get that. And I'm glad I did. I'm very jealous. I am because I exploited opportunities or rather I didn't exploit the opportunity. I, I walked away from them. That 357 max over 20 would have been a neat piece to have. I think I'd rather have it in a configuration like this, 410 and, and 22, just because I think I'd get more use out of it. But I, just, I think it's a To super, me, this is kind of like the quintessential. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. Super neat gun. I, and and I, will not, I will not pass the opportunity, if it is presented again, to have a gun like this. Uh, and I just I, I can't do that to myself any longer. This is a neat firearm. Some later models, they actually separated the barrels, mm-hmm. which presented some, I think, some point of impact problem, and, and but they separated it because of the cost of production. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was asking you about that because I was like, it almost like appeared that like something had happened here at mm-hmm. some point in time, and you're like, no, they just soldered together. That's yep. how they did it. Yep. No, it's very clever. Windage adjustable rear sight, uh, very low profile front sight, so if you did have to shoot something on the wing, and that's pretty characteristic of combination guns. And if you look at some of the European models, they'll often have very low profile sights. Because mm-hmm. I don't know that the precedence is necessarily put on the shotgun, but from the shooter's perspective, it's much easier to shoot winged game than flying, moving, of course, with low profile sights because we don't want to actually distract from the target while we're tracking that bird yep. through the air. Um, so very low profile sights, uh, which is super clever, but not dysfunctional sights. So we still have elevation adjustment with a simple elevator, so the spring steel rear sight lifts up, the elevator moves back, so we can... We you, can you realize I've never moved that, right? And it was, like, no, wh- wherever no. it was. It's back to where it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, windage adjustable through a simple dovetail in the rear, and then this super clever, cute, small, low snag, low drag front sight. Yeah. It's um, accurate. So you, you've put it on paper? Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm I've jealous. shot. I've shot... Yeah, I've shot I've shot paper with it. I've shot, you know, your classic ten cans. I've shot some clays with it. Shot a few doves with it. Mm. Uh, which, some bar- rabbits. which barrel did you use with the for the doves? The four ten. Oh, okay. I've mostly actually ended up using the four ten. Yeah, I get it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's cool, man. I re- I really like it. It's 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 a fun gun and and almost one that I feel like I'm actually going to start using more. I, I think just because so. we like, like we brought it out, we've been looking at it. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I should just take this thing out. I will say, so when I when I've hunted rabbits with it, there's been why I've transitioned back. Like I, then I just like, yeah, I'm going to go carry a 12 gauge because I'm always, you know, rabbit flushes. I'm like, bam, darn it. That, and I like having those uh, those extra. So you hunt rabbits with a 12 gauge as well? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
That doesn't make me a bad person. A lot of people do that. You're judging. No, I'm not, Mark. We've talked about it before. I hold you to a different standard. Well, maybe when we, when we go out, I'll bring. I'll, I'll tell I'll you bring what. this one, and I'll make my first shot count. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. That'll be a clever. That'll be a clever tool to have, especially when we hunt snowshoes. Now we're pot committed. We've always been committed, Mark. This is this is good though, because now when I when I'm like, well, I have to go snowshoe. Hunt. You heard it here. Mark has to come with. He has to come with. We've been talking about ten likes, what? and he has to come with. <laughs> We've been we've been talking about a uh, winter camp snowshoe hunt for a long time. At least eight, we have those here. At least eight years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe this year's the year. I can't guarantee I'm going to bring this though. I would hope you do. I really would hope you do. I like to. Uh, I'd say particularly with rabbits, you can gauge your lead with the first shot. That's true. This doesn't afford you that. Uh, well, that luxury, I'll, that I'm latitude. Gonna... I, I would hope that you do bring this with because I think it would do some absolute justice on a snowshoe hair. And I think I think that it would just be the perfect gun. I truly I'll do. think about it. Okay. I'll bring a backup 20-gauge because there is a law on our books that says that they shall not be killed with something larger than a 20 That's not a, Six, that's, 16 is fine. That's, that's a made-up rule. It's a law on our books. I haven't seen that book okay. yet. Well. Ryan, anything, did we miss anything about this? Um... No, I think I think uh, I think we we generally covered the ins and outs of the Model Twenty Four and its operating system. Very clever, very well built gun, very well put together gun. Nothing goofy, gimmicky. It's an intelligent design. I wish there was more place for the combination gun in our modern society, mm-hmm. and I think it would. Um, I think it would bring us back to a simpler time when when things were better. I don't disagree. I'm going to make one more. This is like a personal observation. Mm, please. I love the way this gun carries and feels oh, and very, shoulders very and intuitive. points. Very intuitive gun. It's just a good one. So. I, th- I think so. I think you have a real gem here, Mark. I appreciate that, And I'm that excited line. when this gets back from Turnbull Restorations. Because <laughs> then it's going to go not just from a historical piece, but like a bespoke historical piece. And you will have entered a new season in your life. So here's what I'm going to say. I am highly likely not going to do that, but I am curious to know from folks out there who, who, who've listened, would you think this gun would be uh, better restored or would that detract from the history that it's, that it's got just built in kind of just Little bit, little bit rougher right now. Ten likes. Mark sends it to uh, Doug Turnbull Restaurant. Yeah, I don't know what where this ten likes thing came from, but anyway, stay tuned, pal. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Did this uh, bring back any nostalgia for you? Do you have one of these? Did you have one of these growing up? Do you still use one? Have you taught your kids to hunt with it? Was it their first gun? Were you jealous of your neighbor who had one? Yeah. Were you jealous of your neighbor that had one? Yeah. Let us know. And uh, until next time, happy hunting and shooting. See Bye you. everybody.